The opinions expressed by the guest in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of any of their past, present, or future employers. Hello, and welcome to the 40th episode of the Emperor's New Podcast, where we explore every corner of the Emperor's New Groove franchise. Today, I will be interviewing a very special guest. You may know him as both Principal Hackett and Curtis the Caveman on Phil of the Future, not Moby from How I Met Your Mother, and of course, the voice of Cusco in The Emperor's New School and various other spinoff material. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome J.P. Manu. Woohoo! That's a whole stadium of people cheering. <laughs> it's all about me. The music. You've no. got yeah. the real McCoy. Hmm? You got the real McCoy in the house. If by real McCoy, you're referring specifically to The Emperor's New School and not Groove. <laughs> Well, here we like, they're, they're a collective, even though they're different people. Yeah, I'm really impressed with, uh, with this podcast and how it has embraced the, uh, the Kuskaverse, the multi-Kuskaverse. Yeah. I'm glad to be any part of it. I believe you started voicing Kusko in the Emperor's New Groove video game. Is that correct? Yes, that was the uh, the first time they, were, they brought me in. And I actually didn't do uh, any voiceover work before that. Um, but I, I had commercial agents on camera, commercial agents, and I was in the lobby. They also had a voice department and I overheard somebody saying like, "Ugh, if only we had somebody who did a David Spade impression, uh, because apparently he didn't want to do the video game or was unavailable to. And I was like, you know, I can be kind of a snar, sinusy and sarcastic. And I basically was doing an impression of Fran Drescher and it sounded <laughs> like David Spade with like Fran Drescher's laugh that like, <laughs> and, um, yeah. They were like, oh, that's pretty good. We'll send it in. And then um, I think because I was already on Phil of the Future, the people at uh, Disney Channel were like, yeah, okay, well, we like JP. He's in-house, like, and that sounds good enough. Good. Um, and in the beginning, they really they wanted me to be a perfect voice match. So for the video game, I had to just basically re-record the exact lines of dialogue he had said in the movie that they were using in the video game. And uh, it fooled enough people that they were like, okay, well, now we're doing this TV show and David still doesn't want to be in it. So I got the gig. That was great. (laughs) As I was about to say, but of course, when it comes to Cusco, you're most well known for voicing him in the TV series. Mm -hmm. Um, What's it like to take a character like that and basically, you know, do, do your own take on a character like that, basically? Yeah, I was super intimidated at first because... I really wanted to try to sound exactly like him. And then I think it was Jamie Thomason, who's uh, one of our uh, you know, voice directors or the guys who would actually would direct the record sessions. Um, at one point, I think he was just saying like, you know, we're trying to like digitally get the exact same pitch and stuff. He's like, forget it. Just like be the character, embrace the character. Um, you know, that's the most important thing. He's going to yeah. look like Cusco because they're going to draw him the same. So don't yeah. worry about that. And um, then it was really liberating because then it was fun. Then I was able to kind of like do whatever my spin on a line would be instead of trying to be like, exactly how would David Spade have said this? Um, So I think you can tell if you listen to like the first few episodes of season one, I'm still like kind of trying to be Spade. And then after a while, I really just kind of abandoned it and nobody stopped me. So, Um, but that's sort of for better or for worse because now many years later, uh, I'm not sure if it's just that Spade like wants to do the character again for whatever else they have uh, yeah. coming down the pipeline for Cusco. 
but I was recently told um, you you will not be playing Cusco anymore. And I was like, oh man, because I liked it. I really enjoyed it. Oh man, yeah. No, I think I think he just saw enough of me out there and started getting jealous. Yeah. On I, I, on the one hand, that's really sad. On the other hand, the fact that they're telling you you won't be playing Cusco implies to me that there may be more something with Cusco. Oh uh, yeah. Yes. For fans of the Cuscoverse, I think there's. I don't know if it's going to be another. Um, a know. feature or another TV series, or but I assume because Disney Plus is always like looking yeah. for content. Like and that. today's Disney Plus Day, so <laughs> Happy Disney Plus Day! Please go and watch every episode of Phil of the Future and The Emperor's New School. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot of stories from voice actors who are like uh, Rob Paulson, for example, when he was on the Mask series. Uh, how he, how they wanted him to be Jim Carrey, and he just said, "Like you didn't get Jim Carrey, so you're going to have to let me be me." <laughs> yeah, it's you know when it's um uh, for smaller things or a video game or whatever, like they'll spend more time really trying to like get it just perfect. Um, you know, I re- I used to also do sound alike work for uh, Steve Buscemi's character from Monsters Inc. Um, and so that would we'd spend a lot of time really trying to get it exactly right but when you're doing animated television like you know we'll have two scripts three scripts four scripts and we'll try to knock them all out in one record session kind of like the way they shoot uh soap operas or tv game shows you know we're like yeah the host of, of wheel of fortune or jeopardy whatever will show up and they'll do a whole week of shows in one day yeah um you try to so you you're you try to make yourself familiar with the scripts ahead of time but you're really in there doing like one, two, maybe three takes and like moving on, moving on, moving on. So Sounds efficient. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be, it's often when, um, if I happen to see my nephews or watching an episode that I haven't seen in a long time or listening to you guys talk about the show on your podcast. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to remember. And it's yeah. not just because it was several years ago, but also yeah. because like we went through three stories in that one record session. So it's like, wait, which, where am I now? Who's, <laughs> what's happening to Kronk? Yeah. Kronk's being Kronk. <laughs> Kronk. I love Kronk. And Patrick Warburton in particular. Yeah. He's great. <laughs> yeah. I love, uh, have you ever been to uh, uh, California Adventure and gone on uh, Soren? Soren. Yeah. yeah. And just, I love that he's your, <laughs> your like pilot. For yeah, and the whole reason that they, they were originally going to have John Travolta do that, but just there were scheduling conflicts. And the whole reason that they got Patrick Warburton to do Soren is because they love the Emperor's New Groove so much. That's awesome. I did not know that. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, apologize for that plumbing sound in the background. If everyone can hear that, I've got a fancy new uh, water uh, drinking water filtration system, but I haven't figured out how to calm it down. That's that's fine. Uh, yeah. Do you have any fun behind the scenes stories uh, from recording the Emperor's New School? Uh, well, just you know, being in the lobby because you very rarely did you. Um, uh, record in the room with the other characters maybe yeah. a couple of times or a couple of scenes we did it but uh it requires you have to set up multiple mics and the guy the engineer gets more work for him and if one person's off maybe you have to re-record the whole thing so uh typically each character's lines are recorded separately so it's only in the lobby when one person's waiting to go in and one person's leaving that you cross paths um and that was super cool because i would bump into uh ben stein or, you know, I got, did I actually meet Miley Cyrus? I'm not, I feel like I did. Because she she did some of the characters. Yeah. Uh, she was young. I don't know if she was in season one, but I feel like she was in season two. Yeah, she was in season two. 
Yes. She was one of like Melina's friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that would be really cool where uh, a Rip Taylor, like <laughs> bumped into Rip Taylor. Uh, and it's like, I remember being a kid and seeing him go on like the Mike Douglas show or Merv Griffin and like toss his confetti. And it's like, oh, here he is. Like, and we're working on the same show together. It's terrific. Yeah. Now getting away from Cusco for just a little bit. Um, so how did you get your start on television? Well, I, I remember just always wanting to be on television. So I, I said how, but that that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so the how was a big question mark for me because, um, you know, growing up, I'd, I'd watch like Saturday Night Live and SCTV. And I was really attracted to things like that and even multi-camera sitcoms. But I didn't have any friend of the family or anyone who could help make that as a career path, you know, being an actor on television, something real. It all just seemed kind of like magical and far away. Yeah. Um, so my solution to that problem was um, I knew that real people could get on game shows. So I, as a teenager, tried to get on uh, all of the teen week episodes of every game show. And I got on Wheel of Fortune. So my first real thing on TV was as a contestant on Wheel of Fortune teen week. And then I just kept like trying to get on Jeopardy and and every uh, family, I dragged my family on Family Feud. Um, So that was like just getting my face on TV. Um, and then in, in high school, I had a great uh, drama teacher who knew that I would be interested in Northwestern University's theater program in Chicago because of the improv and sketch comedy scene there. And he was right. I, I went there and I, I had a you know really eye-opening experience watching um, uh, all kinds of really talented people on campus, college students. Anna Gasteyer was my roommate off campus. We had an apartment with a couple other people together. Um, and, uh, you know, later, uh, Seth Meyers, you know, came out of that same show that I did on campus and stuff. So, um, we would start to see some of our, our friends, the, my, when I was a freshman, uh, in the senior class, David Schwimmer and all of his, uh, looking glass theater guys were there. And so like shortly after that, David was on friends. And so it started to become, um, not just like, I'm in- interested in acting and stuff, but people, you know, are figuring out how to actually make this a career and get on TV. So. It, my first first appearance on TV was just trying to get on as a game show. Uh, later was you know, moving back to Southern California. I grew up in Santa Barbara, went to school in Chicago, coming back to LA, and then uh, trying to get in commercials and tiny parts in uh, sitcoms and movies. And yeah, so getting on TV ultimately as a professional actor was uh, commercials first. Um, I was a Fruit of the Loom guy for several years. I sold underpants on TV dressed as the green grapes. Um, I think I might remember that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I did a bunch of commercials where uh, usually it was physical comedy. It'd be stuff like I would have a 300 pound wife and she would throw me out of a moving car or something, things like that. I did a bunch of weird commercials, played a, a lot of bellhops um, and elevator operators. And then um, small parts in sitcoms and uh yeah later i started getting you know bigger parts and sitcoms some recurring characters and small stuff and some movies and then the disney channel stuff all happened and that really was a a kind of redefining moment for me where all of the physical comedy stuff that i'd always liked doing had uh the right outlet in uh phil of the future where i got to play mr hackett and also curtis the caveman 
And that's the perfect segue. You are finally remembered. Oh, good. How did I know? For playing those characters. Um, what was it like to work on the show? I mean, that, that show was so much fun because unlike a lot of other kids shows, the parents got to be funny. Like there were a whole bunch of series where like the parents would just be like, well, I don't know, Billy, like you should think about the consequences, but on Phil of the future, uh, Craig Anton and Lisa Sims, like as the parents were hilarious. And so um, being their sort of arch nemesis, Mr. Hackett, like I often got to do funny stuff with Craig um, and then Raviv it was he's such a pro even then as a child that he had already done like some Broadway or off-Broadway stuff like he he was wise beyond his years but Ali Machalka man she sort of uh had young Lucille Ball type comedy instincts um and that was just delightful to get to play with you know and you know every, everybody associated with the show is terrific but that's I remember mostly um when I got to direct an episode of Fill the Future and was really just looking through the lens of the camera at Raviv and uh, Ali and just being like, wow, these guys are really, they have, they have good chemistry. They're super professional and they're ridiculously funny. So I was really fortunate. And you've also played a Moby impersonator on a few occasions, including at the aforementioned How I Met Your Mother. Was that fun? <laughs> totally fun. Yeah. Fun years later too. When uh, I happened to be at a party and Moby was there. And somebody told him, hey, you know, the guy who played you on How I Met Your Mother is here. And he like sought me out. He like ran over and like wanted a picture with me. So that was very flattering. Um, Yeah, I don't know how I multiple times ended up becoming a Moby impersonator. I think one of the writers from How I Met Your Mother ended up writing on Community. Community. So that was, I think, uh, when they had an episode where uh, Jim Rash had a doppelganger, Dean Pelton had the doppeldiener venal ganger uh, that Chang hires for after they kidnap him whole complex plot. That's kind of like oceans 11, but anyway, um, I think it was one of the writers had been on how I met your mother. And they were like, we can either do the parent trap thing where Jim plays both parts. We do like a split screen or we can just get JP who looks just like him when we put on him glasses and, uh, and hire him. And so that was how they decided to do that and then created the, uh, character Phoebe, the fake Moby DJ, to sort of introduce the lookalike character. And I think there might even be a third Moby thing in my resume somewhere. I'm trying, having a hard time remembering it, but for sure, that How I Met Your Mother episode that shows around the holidays because it's a New Year's Eve episode. Yeah, for the all through January and February, I'll end up with people on the street going like, "Hey, not Moby." <laughs> And of course, a year before uh, the original Emperor's New Groove came out, you got to work with David Spade and Cheetah's voice actress, Wendy Malick on Just Shoot Me. Yeah. It seems like Hollywood's really small and there's only like five actors, right? They all end (laughs) up doing all these shows together. Um, Just Shoot Me was so much fun. Um, A multi-camera sitcom work week is the most enviable. Every actor wants to do it because it's... uh, uh, super stimulating and, and because you have an actual like performance night in front of a live audience. I don't think that's happening these days in the post pandemic, yeah. but uh, back in the day, there'd be at least 300 people who are already fans of the show, super excited to see a taping. 
And you would work all week to come up with a script that was very funny and rehearse it, and camera block it, and then get to do it live in front of this crowd and they cheer and clap. And it's, it's a blast. Um, a lot, that's, that's just the, the format and, and the, you know, repu- the experience most people can have on a multi-camera sitcom. But then when you add to it, like, oh, these are some of the funniest writers and these are some of the best actors and they all love each other. So it's really fun to hang out with them during the week. Like I was, I did my first episode of Just Shoot Me and was like, oh my God, I just want to stay here. And uh, they found a reason to bring me back for a couple more episodes. Um, but Just Shoot Me was, was super, super fun. And Steve Levitan, who created that show or was the showrunner of that show, um, yeah, he he remembers people and brings them back. So I ended up doing another guest star for him on a show with Tony Shalhoub and Neil Patrick Harris. I can't even remember what that was called. And then um, uh, later I did an episode of Modern Family. So if they like working with you, you may end up crossing paths with some of these uh, show creators multiple times. Right. And back to, uh, back to the Cusco verse. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing, one thing I've seen people talk about a lot, blah, 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 a lot about is Cusco's character development between the movie and the series. Um, particularly how he's still a selfish jerk, even though in the movie, he supposedly the whole point of the movie was him learning not to be a selfish jerk. Uh, what's your take right. on that? <laughs> uh, I think it's actually probably far more realistic in terms of yeah. how people, uh, yeah. evolve slowly or have to keep doing the same evolution in order to, yeah. for it to stick. Um, yeah, I, I like that the series didn't like pick up, you know, with like everything is un- perfect now. I, yeah. I appreciate everyone's struggle. No, yeah. that's not Cusco at all. I mean, that, that would be kind of boring. <laughs> yeah. But he, he at least acknowledged, he's self-aware enough. He's sort yeah. of embracing, like, I guess that's me. He has a little wink and a you know, wry nod that he's able to actually have friends now. Whereas in the movie... Yeah. He really couldn't have friends. Like, yeah, Pasha's like his his first friend he's ever had. And I like that in in, uh, Emperor's New School, uh, his friends are real friends and able to say, you're being a jerk, Cusco. Yeah, which is what what friends do. Exactly. It's what you hope they'll do, is is call you on your shit. Do you, um, if you can recall any, um, do you have a favorite episode of the Emperor's New School (laughs) that you worked on? You know, I... I have not gone through and like looked at the episodes in such a long time. Um, uh, I was worried that you were going to maybe ask me about, because the last episode of your podcast I listened to, I think was season two, episode eight, or at least that's the one that's online. I believe Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I was worried you're going to ask me a lot of questions about episode nine. And so I just watched that one again for the first (laughs) time in however many (laughs) years. And I was like, this is really funny. Like I really liked it. The, um, they started splitting some episodes. So it'd be like a two 15 minute episodes instead of one you know, yeah. 30 or 20, however many minutes. Um, and uh, uh, the, the one, so the one I just watched, that was like episode nine and it's two episodes in one was where Yzma um, goes back to her like high school reunion. Yeah. And it's full of mean girls and they kind of pull a like carry on her. Yeah. They're like, um, and it was, you really uh, sympathized with her and I, yeah. I thought that was a cool episode because Eartha Kitt is she's hilarious when she's just doing like you know I with the Empress and all that stuff <laughs> but to have her be like a little vulnerable and and sucking up to like the cool girls or the girls who were cool in high school like I thought that was complex and interesting yeah um and then the other half of that one was uh 
uh, all about like Pokemon cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that just had such great classic like comedy twists in it where Cusco gets the, uh, the card he thinks is like totally worthless and trades Kronk for it. And then he finds out it's the most powerful card in the deck and like just, um, so like I'm referencing that one not because it's the best episode I think yeah. of the entire you know two seasons that we did but um, it's fresh on your mind every episode I bet every episode I watch there will be moments in there where I'll be like oh that's like that's not just funny for kids like that's funny for the adults in the room too yeah yeah and um, who besides Cusco would you say is your favorite character in the Ember's new Groovaverse? <laughs> yeah, Kronk. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Kronk is so. Yzma's great because she's so, you know, emphatic and, I mean, uh, but Kronk just, like, I like that he can kind of be uh, in Yzma's camp or he can be with, you know, Cusco, Molina and everyone else. Like, he's he's got a good perspective, I think, on his place in uh, in the Empire. Like, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's just it's it's tomorrow's going to be another day, and uh, yeah. he, he just he just wants everyone to be happy. <laughs> yeah, he's an honest guy. He can't lie if he tries. Yeah, um, and he's big enough that he doesn't really have to uh, worry about <laughs> physical repercussions of his actions. So he's just got a nice uh, um, kind of a dude, you know, from Big Lebowski, uh, yeah. Zen way of living. Yeah, now I have <laughs> now I've run out of questions, so I have to improvise them. <laughs> That's okay. Um, um well maybe you can help remind me too do you have a, a favorite episode of yours or uh, one you, I, you reference most often i don't know <laughs> like i'm just i think by the time i'm done with the podcast i probably will right now my favorite episode so i really like melina <laughs> yeah so my favorite is so great she was super fun to yeah get to record with when i did get to record with her yeah my favorite episode is probably uh the pairing of uh, Molina's big break in Hotel Cusco, which one's about Molina getting an interview uh, for a magazine and the other one, uh, Cusco uh, finds a way to live back in the palace and by tricking the uh, peasants into, and spoilers for anyone who cares at this point, <laughs> um, but he, uh, in the thinking there's a termite infestation. And so then everyone comes in the palace and he has to basically, uh, serve everyone and that's basically the premise of the second one second segment and that those two are probably my favorite so uh, he becomes goes from emperor to being like the lowest status guy like yeah. waiting on everyone yeah um they were those those scripts were really funny to read like before you even heard voices um yeah the bob's ganaway and his team were just they were awesome it's really really cool stuff and i, I hope i get to uh, do another show with them someday maybe Maybe. Um, I do remember seeing a Cusco uh, character at Disneyland and it freaked me out because he had such a big head. I think there's one at Paris right now. Oh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, can't see me, but I'm making an open mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like Cusco would work better as a face character where you actually could interact with. (laughs) uh And at one point, there was a. uh, like a scavenger hunt type thing. I think this is before, certainly before um, uh, Galaxy's Edge opened. Sorcerers of the, the Magic Kingdom? Was it, So it was like an interactive kind of game you'd play around the park. With cards? 
Uh, I didn't know if it involved cards. I never actually got to do it, but I recorded some voice stuff. Yeah, for that's Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom. Okay, all right. Was it fun? Did you do it? Uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, some of the I issues the were last. that they relied on the, the camera seeing your card, and some, so you had to hold them specifically so the cameras could see them. So that was uh, a little I see. tedious. Yeah. But uh, uh, I went there once for a, a 24-hour event, and after uh, after not after hours, because they were open 24 hours, I went and... Uh-huh. Uh, did it hoping I would get uh, the Emperor's New Groove level, and I did. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, this, this is what you won this this appearance on your podcast. I hope <laughs> it's I, worth it. I believe, um, um, I believe that was Candy Milo's debut, and apparently, according to her, her only because they replaced her also um, huh. as Isma. Right. Since Eartha Kitt had sadly passed away in 2008. Yeah, sadly passed away, yeah. So the only um, person from the actual movie in there was uh, Patrick Warburton, because Patrick doesn't make an appearance at all for some reason. Huh. That's, yeah, I wish I never got to play that or, or uh, you know, try to advance through its levels. There's videos of people doing it on it YouTube. Happened. Yeah. It's not the same thing, but you get, like, you can, un- you can watch little movies and see what's mm-hmm. going on. But the tech, you know, has improved so much since then. That, yeah. Like, I mean, that was like, like a decade ago. Experiences yeah. are totally different now. Yeah. That was like a little bridge uh, game. And I believe you also did uh, at Disneyland Paris. I believe this was you. You did. Um, there was a one night event where Cusco showed up. And did there was. There was. Movies. They wanted me to like sing. The theme song I, from I the movie. I, I had to sing something because we didn't have, we only had like one or two songs in the TV series. There was a whole disco thing I remember we did. Yeah. And, uh, um, but yeah, it was some very rich dude had a private party like at Disney Paris and they wanted Cusco and they wrote some stuff for him to say and do. And so I, I went and I recorded that. I can't believe you were aware of it. You, yeah. you weren't there, I trust. Uh, no, I, I've never been outside of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> when you go, you know, go straight to Disneyland, wherever the Disneyland is, you'll, it'll all be very familiar. No reason to discover the actual countries. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was, uh, is it on YouTube somewhere? Can I see it? Uh, I, be I believe it's called Max Live Getting Goofy With It. <laughs> Getting Goofy With It. And it's hosted by Max from uh, a Goofy movie. Right. Okay, because you know, getting jiggy with it is so recent and topical <laughs> and current. And <laughs> it it might it was some other it, if it wasn't that it was some other play on Goofy. Oh, I'm sure you're right. I think yeah. you're right. <laughs> um, okay, well, no, I'll have to I'll have to go see that unless I'll be horrified. Oh, it, it's got it's my voice coming out of one of those giant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's weird. All right, and they I'll put some like they put some like spirally things on the crown and stuff. I don't like just. Oh, to they aren't it. from other animation that you've seen. Um, yeah, they they, they, they added details that I don't think they needed to add to the ground mm. to make it look more shiny. Well, and... It might have been if that billionaire was throwing a party for his son or something. Like maybe his son has that hair, and so they changed. It was goofy. The billionaire oh. was goofy. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, he's been around long enough. He's got the money. He's got a lot of Disney shares. Gosh. <laughs> Hmm. What else? Buy low, sell high. (laughs) Sorry, I'm taking so long to figure out more questions. (laughs) Uh, That's okay. We can talk about other stuff. Um, Well, how did you all start asking you questions? Okay. So, um, 
you know, you was it that you first saw the movie uh, The Emperor's New Groove and you just loved it so much that you like wanted to do a deep dive and become the it's expert? Very all complicated. So there are a lot of Disney properties that you're in love with. Um, well, I, I do love lots of Disney properties. The reason uh, The Emperor's New Groove started uh, when a, when the movie came out, I was six and I liked it fine. Um, then the TV show came out and I liked it fine. Uh, then there were reruns um, in the tw- early 2010s of the TV show. And that made yeah. me um, rediscover the show. And I really got invested in these characters. And so I wanted to revisit the movie. And did, there I got obsessed with the movie. I wanted people to know that there's like, all these layers of characters uh and yeah. like it's not just like you know uh you know some people think oh it's it's a cheap spinoff but like there's stuff there <laughs> yeah it has value um no the movie's its own thing and is terrific but yes the the way they sort of uh so, cracked the the code for how to make it uh, a TV series, which again, regrettably, only two seasons. But uh, but there's plenty of good stuff. I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm just happy the two seasons actually have a result, resol- a conclusion. <laughs> God, you're telling me. I mean, this is sort of the, like my life story with Disney. Is I'll do like a show for two seasons, and then it'll be a cliffhanger episode, and we never <laughs> come back. You know, like <laughs> for fans of Phil of the Future, let yeah. me apologize again. That we literally left you hanging in, you know, I don't know what time you're in because the machine was on its way to the future. Then they realized they left uh, Curtis at home and uh, Phil. That that would have been an interesting story. uh, I I still, I love Keely. Keely loves Phil. They're separated by space and time. We got to go back. And then we never went back. Like, what? (laughs) Terrible rug to pull out from under you. Yeah. Yeah, that happened a lot in the early 2000s. And then uh, after Emperor's New School, it seemed more shows started to actually have so finales. I think they would give them a little bit more heads up. Like uh, yeah. in our case with Phil the Future, I think it was, uh, it was Hannah Montana. So like um, we had to make room for Hannah Montana. I think they wanted yeah. to bring that show in. And it was a very last minute decision which show was going to get canceled to make room for Hannah Montana. And so that was why we we would have given a satisfactory ending if we knew it. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think they, the, the writers of Emperor's New School were given enough of a heads up that like, oh, Phineas and Ferb is getting bigger and we need to do this other thing too. So, Which has an interesting connection to uh, Emperor's New School. Um, not only did Danny Jacob do music for both shows, but uh, there's an episode of the Emperor's New School, season two, episode one, um, where there, Kronk has... Briefly, there's a gag where Kronk basically has a home improvement show and uh-huh. there's a theme song for it called Kronk for Hire. And the instrumental of that is reused repeatedly in Phineas and Ferb. Ooh, well, I'm sure that's you're they're hoping you won't notice that, <laughs> uh, but it could not escape you. Um, <laughs> also, yeah, the you know, <laughs> ultimately, these things take time and cost money, and uh, not just Disney, who's notorious for you know penny pinching or, or yeah. finding ways to cut corners and things like, but still have the, the quality appear terrific. Um, you know, it's the nature of the beast that like, you got to knock out all these episodes. If you can sh- do flashback scenes that are just still photographs. All right. Well now you don't need to animate those <laughs> images. Now, like in that uh, class reunion episode that I just watched, 
you know, they show Isma her whole thing about telling what high school was like. Mm-hmm. It's all like black and white stills. Yeah. Which makes life a little easier on the animators. Um, and so for music stuff, yeah, if you're able to recycle a riff or, you know, a little a bit of a song uh, and use it on another show without anybody noticing, why wouldn't you? Especially mm-hmm. if it's the same musician or composer. Yeah. And it and then it, then it becomes like a, a little Easter egg uh, yeah. thing between Emperor's New School and Phineas and Ferb fans, but I'm technically both. So <laughs> Totally. Yeah. And I'm sure there's plenty of uh, bits in like Danny Elfman's scores that if you really listen to them closely, you'll be like, oh, there's a little bit of Pee Wee's. You know, I mean, if you listen to any composer's scores, uh, like you'll hear the similarities and be able to pick up that that's who it is. Um, Signature style. So. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, so we were saying how you, you got, uh, you wanted people to know that so that's why i started the podcast Uh, it wasn't just a kids animated show that happened to be on tv it was like it had plenty of stuff worth digging into and looking at yeah and there's lore not something i take too seriously but it's there (laughs) yeah well then the, the problem is like you start to do something that people really respect how complex it is then you have to be super careful because anytime you break your own rules or forget something that's part of the show's bible yeah. People like you are going to call him out on it and be like, yeah. wait, this doesn't make sense because he said that in episode this. And it's like, yeah. you're right. It's, it's, it's like, I don't understand the show to actually do uh, manage to do that. Like how yeah. solid, like with all these people writing each episode and stuff. I mean, they have a, right. a, a person. Hmm? So I, I just had a little bit of a like, insight into that recently because i have a friend who is one of the creators of ted lasso and they have a like in-depth biography for like every one of the players on that soccer team even though after you know two seasons you still only you know only a few uh, characters have really uh, gotten we've gotten to really meet them and know their whole story for all the other players on that team they've got all the information they need for someone to come in and write an episode that will stay on track with their Bible. I'll put that in quotes. Like it's the show Bible. Yeah. Um, Not the Jesus and, Bible. And that, that blew me away. I couldn't believe they put in that much work yeah. on the front end to make, you know, life consistent later. The beautiful thing about the Emperor's New Groove franchise is any plot holes that you have in the continuity, there's, you can just come up with some wacky convoluted headcanon yes. and it will work. <laughs> yeah. No, you can totally do like, oh, remember that time when we did this and did that? And it'll fix that plot hole for sure. Yeah. Shame they never did a fake clip show. <laughs> that would have been That would fun. be good. Yeah. Um, ah, now I'm, I'm bummed that Eartha Kitt's not around. I mean. Yeah. I mean, so, every, isn't everyone? <laughs> yes. But like now I'm thinking more and more about Yzma and like how great she was. I was such, I'm really glad they cast her in that character. Yeah. And she movie. always came back every opportunity she got because she just loved playing the character so much. Yeah. And when people talk about like Disney princesses and like evil queens and stuff, yeah. like yeah. I don't think they think of Melina much in the contact in the they don't lump her together with other Disney princesses, but uh, I would oh, they, they legally can't queen. because of the rules of Disney princesses. You only, you're only allowed to actually be in a movie. <laughs> I see. Melina wasn't in Emperor's new group. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Disney is complicated. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. But Yzma will always be one of my Disney evil queens for sure. Yeah. She, 
one of the funniest, like, the great thing about Yzma is uh, she uh, is a villain who thinks she's, like, so much more brilliant than she, or more much of a genius. She's the evil yeah. genius who thinks they're even more of an evil genius than they are. And, uh, you know, the way the character is drawn, all the characters have such sharp lines, like, at their waist, and yeah. she is even more angular than, like, any of them. I love, like, when she and Kronk are in their, like, lab coats, and she's having, you know, her big plan for the yeah. episode, like, and it does a big cackle laugh, like, it's it's so extreme, it's such sharp lines, um, it's just hilarious to look at before she even says anything. Yeah. And the roller coaster, I love that yeah. you know, recurring bit. Yeah. Uh, I it, wish we had that, <laughs> for real. <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't put in one of the parks. Well, I guess maybe if Emperor's New Groove and School were bigger hits, then yeah. they would have finally, it, instead of the Incredit Coaster, it would be like Yzma and Kronk's, you know. Yeah. Kronk's. And then you'd have, stat- then you'd have statues of Yzma and Kronk. In the- <laughs> yeah. I never rule out the possibility of, uh, you know, the Emperor's New Groove getting a theme park attraction someday because it took Pinocchio, I mean, Technically, some of those years, Disneyland didn't exist. But still, Pinocchio took, like, 40 years to become considered, like, the classic we do, the modern classic we do, we consider it, not modern, the classic we consider it today. And it took it 40 40 years, so uh, it came out in the 40s, so maybe, like, 20 or 30 or so years after. Except it's, I don't know... um that it would get a new high profile like movie yeah. to like get excited about it again. I don't know. But I, I do know that more and more often I'm encountering people who say, you know, Emperor's New Groove is, is way funnier than people give it credit. It should have had a, a bigger reception when it came out. And I think it might've suffered a little for being um, in the window of years when, what were the other Disney movies around it? Um, like the only of- the only other really big Disney movie, I mean, one that really has really taken off uh, from that era was Lilo and Stitch. The others were Atlantis, Treasure Planet, Brother Bear, on the range. <laughs> yeah, right. It was the, they were trying to kind of figure out what's next. Yeah. Uh, and as a standalone, Emperor's New Groove is terrific, but I think it gets lost in that mix of. Also like, the marketing wasn't that great. <laughs> right. So was it right after that, maybe that they went all in on the new Disney princesses? Um, it was like a decade, like the next, the following decade. Yeah. Okay. Or the end of the end of the two thousands was when uh, Princess and the Frog came out, and then after that, Tangled and Frozen yeah, yeah, and Moana. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The revival era, as it's called. Um, Got it. So, um, I don't think I can think of any more questions. So, do you have anything? Well, that's you wanna... okay. Yeah. We can check in anytime in the future. I'm gonna go and listen to more of your episodes because. Uh, um, I was ignorant of the the hilarious stuff that goes on in the podcast. And uh, please let your friends know that I think they're hilarious too. I really kick out of it today. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, Let's see what's coming up soon. I'm listening to my, what I want to plug is that water (laughs) thing constantly. I'll have to figure out how to plug that. Um, but otherwise, what's coming up? I mean, I, I had a small part in Nobody, the Bob Odenkirk movie that came out not too long ago. That's screaming everywhere. You can see me. I, I don't, I think I have one line in it, but yeah. you see my face a lot. It's a nice little scene. 
Um, and otherwise, coming up, I'm trying to think what things have been shot that'll come out soon, what things might not come out at all. I know you'll see me uh, in some capacity in the movie Babylon, um, but that's probably still another year away. So yeah, Let's keep keep your eyes open for a bald guy on your TV and uh, it's probably a 20% chance it's me. And the other, uh, the other percentage is Moby. <laughs> Moby, Jim or, Rash. Or Jim or, Rash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, or, thank you. Uh, Ted, uh, what's his name? Jeff Bezos going back into space. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Really nice to meet you and uh, continued success. What's his name?